Welcome to the Tech Fixie Sparkle and Thrive podcast. I'm your host, Joy Foster, and I am delighted today to be joined by Donna White. Donna White is uh, really an incredible woman, and we're so delighted she's here. She's the Senior Head of Digital Marketing at the Prince's Trust. Now, that is a big job, uh, and her goal is to impact a million young people. So we're going to talk about that today, but more importantly, we're going to talk about what it's like to uh, do digital marketing in the charity space because we get a lot of questions about that. We have a lot of students who are going through a 90 day transformational program who are working with charities or in the charity space. And of course, there's a lot of questions that come up. And one of the biggest ones that comes up is around budget because usually in those spaces, there's less budget and you still have to get the, the targets uh, as well. So um, let's get started on this conversation. I'm really excited about it. Um, so Donna, First of all, welcome. Thank you for being Thank here. Thank you very and, much. Uh, I would love for you to tell everyone your journey uh, and how you ended up at the Prince's Trust. Mm -hmm. uh, and then also, for those of you who don't already know, the amazing work that the Prince's Trust does, maybe you can give us an overview of that as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, let me start with that. The Prince's Trust helps uh, 11 to 30 year olds who are struggling to find work or perhaps struggling in the education system. And it provides free courses to help them develop their skills and confidence to get their lives back on track into training to find a job or start a business. And we've actually been operating for more than 45 years, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, sort of founded by uh, the Prince of Wales, um, and it does some really great work. So last year, we were pleased to celebrate that we have helped our millionth young person and are continuing that at this critical time. I've actually been uh, working at the Trust for about seven years now, uh, which is fantastic and just goes to prove what a great uh, organisation it is to work for. But I ended up in digital uh, with a route in through working in comms and particularly PR, doing a mix of public and private sector work with a couple of agencies um, before making my way through that digital door. <laughs> um, but it was something that really appealed to me because as much as I love comms and I love sort of working with, with journalists, the fact that, you know, in digital marketing, you can self-publish, uh, you know, straight away through your website or social media channels was just so appealing. You know, have the conversation in real time rather than waiting for that magazine or paper uh, to sort of be sent to you. So all about that uh, in the moment uh, conversation. And tell us about the work the Prince's Trust does for people who aren't so familiar. I mean, can you give us a story of uh, someone's life who's changed? Yeah, there's um, so many stories that um, I could, could choose from, but um, in particular, so we help a lot of uh, women try to break into sort of businesses themselves. So we might have uh, young women who have been uh, single parents, maybe struggling to um, sort of set up a stable life for their sort of young families. And um, through us, they will do a free sort of initial four day course to learn sort of the, the fundamentals of business. So that'll cover everything from market research. Um, it'll look at um, sort of tax and budgeting. It will also uh, look at sort of some of the legal sides of things. And that sort of gives them uh, an open door into can I turn my business into, uh, you know, 
a re- reality. Can this idea really go somewhere? And if that is something that they decide to do, after the four days, we will pair them up with a business mentor. And over the course of up to two years, um, we will work with them. They can apply for sort of extra training, extra funding and grants. And they will have that go to person, someone who is a business leader um, that can help them navigate sort of any uh, particular uh, twists and turns in their journey. Um, But through uh, this course, you know, we've seen people set up uh, comedy clubs. We've seen people set up um, sort of, you know, sewing and accessories and, you know, become sort of sellers on Etsy. We've seen people set up their own sort of cafes. Um, But the great thing is, is the skills aside and the fact that they go on to employ other people and they give back to their communities it's just that confidence and that self-esteem is just everything because once you've got that I definitely believe and so does the trust that you are limitless which is great absolutely um and what attracted you to digital marketing particularly in the charity sector versus digital marketing anywhere else Mm -hmm. it was all about this idea of being part of something bigger than myself, being part of something very meaningful and being able to have that regular um, interaction with the people that we are supporting. So hearing those stories and being inspired by them, um, you know, there's sort of a joke at the trust that, you know, you have to carry around some tissues with you because these stories are emotional and young people are achieving their goals and discovering their potential and there's just something quite wonderful about that and it doesn't matter who you are um, you can take something away from that so definitely um, that idea of working in an industry that is all about giving rather than sort of taking. That's really interesting because a lot of women are attracted to working in the charity sector, um, either volunteering in it or working in it. One of the problems we see is a lot of women will volunteer their time and then they 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 will get burnt out because they there's you know there's a there's a certain point where they kind of realize well I've actually got to earn some money for my family and there are jobs in the charity sector. I mean you're not working for free, <laughs> so the good news is is that you can get jobs in the charity sector. Um, and I I worked in the charity sector for a long mm-hmm. time. And, uh, you know, and I had a good job that I really enjoyed and I did it in the comms and digital marketing space as well. And it was all about getting young people exposed to entrepreneurs in schools. That was, I worked with founders for schools and I was their second employee. And it was a, you know, it was a real adventure because we had no marketing budget whatsoever at the time. And so everything had to be organic. So I got really good at organic social media marketing and really good at partnerships because that's the fastest way to grow in an organic environment. But, um, you know, it, it was it was really interesting um, to, you know, be trying to reach particular people with an organic strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, which networks do does the Princess Trust concentrate on uh, to make sure that your messages are getting out uh, and, and cutting through the noise? Yeah, um, so we concentrate on the the big four, which for us from a national perspective is Twitter, where we are sort of everything to everybody. We are taking part in trending conversations, but also pushing our own agenda. Uh, We're also on Facebook, where we sort of try to communicate to young people, but through the communities that work with them. So parents, guardians, referrers. We're also on Instagram where we try to talk directly to young people and leverage the great features that are coming through on that channel. 
And we're also seeing loads of engagement on LinkedIn, thanks to our network of partners as well. So that's where we tend to sort of base ourselves. But um, over the last six months, we have been trying to become a little bit more accustomed to TikTok, although I can't really keep up with my dancing steps very well. <laughs> But it's good. Yeah, to I was wondering it. if you were venturing into TikTok. Um, it's interesting. I'm. I, it's interesting to watch TikTok. Uh, you know, kind of evolve. And uh, you know, I'm. I'm always a person who says, "Okay, let's let's sit back, let's let like the dust mm -hmm. settle, and then say, okay, let's move forward strategically or not.' You know, and and I'm finding the same thing with Clubhouse. Kind of, okay, let's sit back, let's watch, let's see how it's being used, and then let's yeah. teach people how to use it and leverage it. But I, I think I do think TikTok is uh, becoming well, not becoming, is quite popular with the younger generation. And you're finding that there's an even younger generation on there than there is, let's say, on, on Instagram, for example. It's interesting, though. I love how you explained that you, there, you're not doing the same thing on each of those networks. You're speaking to different people. So on LinkedIn, you're talking to your mentors. On Instagram, you're talking directly to uh, potential people who want to work with the Princess Trust as service users, you know, people who are going to be using the service. And then uh, Facebook, you're actually talking to the carers, the parents, the people who are connected to them. And I love, I love that. And that's important for people to hear because a lot mm -hmm. of times people don't understand. One of the biggest questions I get in our social media superhero bootcamp is, can I just put the same thing on all the networks? And I always say, yes, you can. And no, you shouldn't, you know, that's kind <laughs> yeah. of the way I say it. And, and there are things you can share on each one of them, but you could share the same piece of content, but in that scenario, you're actually speaking to three different people. And mm -hmm. so the same content can be changed and adjusted. You know, the same yeah. video can be changed and adjusted. That video you put out on Instagram, you're going to be saying, hey, do you want to work with us? Yeah. That video you're going to be putting out on LinkedIn saying, hey, we need some more mentors. You know, and for the parents, it's saying, did you know that your child can access these services? So they're very different messages. And, and I think that's really important for people to hear. And I love how you all, um, explained mm -hmm. that when we went through it. Talk to us about some campaigns. Obviously, uh, as the woman in charge, you are uh, responsible for these campaigns. What, give us one that you're most proud of and mm -hmm. talk about, you know, what it took to bring it to fruition. Yeah, well, this is um, a campaign stroke event, which we hosted earlier this month, um, which, you know, I can take a little bit of credit for, but it's the team around me and that I work with who did a real lion's share of this. But each uh, March, we host the Prince's Trust Awards, and that's to recognise the achievements of seven amazing young people who have been able to transform their lives and their surroundings, uh, thanks to their own hard work, and just a little bit of a, a nudge and support from the trust and normally it takes place at the London Palladium and it's a fantastic red carpet event and so many VIPs and celebrities and it's just a great way for our community to sort of get together and hear those stories firsthand but this year lockdown <laughs> we got you know got away with it in 2020 just um, but this year we definitely needed to pivot to a virtual event and I think you know, a year on, it was how do you make something engaging? Um, everybody is zoomed out. <laughs> so you just need to be really mindful of your audience and make sure that you're not just doing it for the sake of it. But the team were able to, um, you know, brief in some fantastic, emotive, short case study video clips. Mm. We had some wonderful um, magic moments that we called them where maybe... Um, 
you know, a young person was telling their mentor that they had won this award or vice versa, or they might have had a celebrity sort of drop in and just sort of say, you know, hey, I've heard that you're doing really well. And even in one instance, one of our winners um, who had been working on a fixed term contract um, with an employer was told there and then by his boss that he was going to be made permanent, which was just fantastic. And he was there with his mum and it was just lots of sort of cheers. And it was it was wonderful it was um yeah hosted by celebrities so it still had that sort of um you know glamorous feel we had um some real key fundraising call to actions um sort of like a little ticker tape um effect which was really good but i think what really made it which is different to what you would be in an auditorium was the live chat that was running alongside and actually it was so nice to know that you were watching an event at the same time as a number of people lots of thumbs ups and emojis sort of happening and i think that's something which you know um works really really well in an online setting that sense of um community well, and you're right, everyone's had to pivot their events online this year. And it has, I've attended several and some of them are done really well. And some of them are not done so well. And you know, it's everyone's coping as well as they can. And, uh, you know, in some cases, you know, we started doing online events, we have a we do last year, we did two face to face get togethers. And we decided to do it online. And actually, mm -hmm. I don't know, I mean, I definitely want to go back to face to face. Uh, yeah. But I also think there's part of me that thinks we might continue to do it online because there's so we now work with people across the country. So getting everybody in the same room together is difficult. Um, yeah. And so I think that's really interesting. But I love that you pulled that off and uh, and had a really great experience. And what's interesting is, as you were saying that, I think people can hear the emotion in your voice about, you know, those stories, and those case studies. And I think that's the special thing is that if you do it right it's actually just as impactful online as it is in person and the mm -hmm. stories and the, uh, the transformation that, that you're celebrating yeah. uh, is still is, you know, really makes, you know, makes you teary and makes you get um, emotional because the, the work that you're doing really is transforming lives. And I think, and I think that's why people are attracted to working in the charity sector. Like mm -hmm. you said in the beginning, you know, you, you want to do something that you know is making a difference. And uh, and I think that's it's really exciting when you are able to see that um, right in front of your eyes. Um, so let's talk about uh, your comms and fundraising strategy mm -hmm. in 2021. How is it being impacted? Uh, how are you, are you having to pivot or change anything uh, to, to make sure that you can continue to provide the service that you provide? So a lot of our courses have had to sort of move online as well. So, you know, we traditionally do lots of fantastic face-to-face -face delivery, but like every organization, <laughs> get your, um, you know, your broadband stood up <laughs> and, and get virtual. Um, but I think for us, what we've learned over the last 12 months is that um, we've known that the pandemic has been coming and we knew it was going to move from a medical conversation to an employment social issue. And so the Prince's Trust has almost been sort of waiting, doing some research in the background, identifying case studies, um, leveraging partnerships in preparation for that to stand us in good stead, because 2021 is the time to be having this conversation. Um, so for us, as part of our sort of comms and fundraising strategy, I would say that research is really important for us right now to have those strong statistics in order to generate those news hooks and, and, and cut through. 
Um, and I think, you know, you can see that when you're sort of reading through news apps, it's it's a lot of uh, data, um, but it's useful data at the moment. And we're just really happy to be part of that conversation. So whether that's feeding into monthly unemployment statistics with case studies or whether that's our own research, which is looking at how young people's mental health has been impacted by job losses, um, it's a narrative which we can sort of build upon and say, actually, the Prince's Trust is here for young people now and in the future. And that creates a bit of a pathway for us to say um, we are a charity and we do rely on donations and have a really clear shopping list of how people could um, support our work and make a difference, whether that's sort of, you know, small amounts or larger amounts. Um, because one of the things that we are occasionally up against is you know the prince's trust we've got this sort of um really nice um sort of association in our title but we do need to sort of dispel the myth that you know we're not funded by other organizations that we are a charity in our own right so it's definitely um sort of making that clear yeah no that's really interesting um and what are some of the core challenges in your role and how do you overcome them um, so some of the challenges that I face, I guess, working at the Trust is that we are such a large organisation and there are a lot of complexities occasionally in just how projects are set up or how teams are established. So I always sort of say that you need to um, make a lot of friends <laughs> within the Prince's Trust because you never know who you're going to be talking to and a number of people you might need to involve in your projects to give them the best chance of success. So definitely I rely on sort of, you know, great communication skills, um, stakeholder management, um, making sure that I can just really build that trust with people. Um, but doing that in a way that is authentic to me, you know, so people sort of call me, oh, it's Donna from Digital or it's Digital Donna, <laughs> sort of, you know, straight talking. She's not going to like overcomplicate things with you because I don't want to be a complicated person. You know, sometimes in digital marketing, there is a lot of tech behind the scenes and things that you can sort of talk about. But um, actually what people want is just a simple story. How do you get from A to B? Um, so that's sort of what I try to do to sort of work around that. Um, but I think another one of the challenges is just the prioritization of projects. Um, so with any sort of digital transformation, you have these big, bold, ambitious ideas, but you can only do a handful of things well. So occasionally it's a bit of a, a waiting game to make sure that your objectives can sort of fit into something a little bit bigger or it might sort of look a little bit different. Um, but in order to sort of get that done. So I might be sort of, um, you know, waiting for some website development opportunities. But whilst I'm doing that, I'm going to focus my attention on social media and make sure that my communities are engaged and I'm learning lots over there. So, yeah, never a moment wasted. <laughs> never a moment wasted. Yeah, of course. Now, yeah. what advice do you have? Because we have a lot of people in the charity sector who are working or volunteering um, mm -hmm. or even running. You know, what's what's happened a lot as well is we'll have women join our program to learn how to use social media and then they'll actually launch their own charities as a result. So, you know, they're 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 raising money for mm -hmm. their own charities. Um, what advice do you have for someone who has a limited budget but is looking to you know, grow their donations, their engagement, uh, and all, you know, reach more people really. 
Um, so even something that we do at the Prince's Trust is every project starts with a little test and learn, you know, run these simple A-B split variable tests across channels to really try to understand, you know, what is making people engage with you? Is it the content? Is it the message? Is it the audience type that you've developed? Um, so you don't have to go straight in and invest, you know, um, significant amounts. Just um, start small, find out what works for you. And then when you have something that you feel is quite robust and you've maybe tested it a few times, that's when you can sort of scale up. And I think that's where sort of the, the great learnings are from. That's where you can really get to know and understand the channels and, and the algorithms of those channels. Um, but I would also say that if you do have limited budgets, um, occasionally, as much as it's great to sort of do the, the big brand awareness piece and really push the um, sort of charity name or push the um, sort of key products and services, take a moment to sort of listen. What are the hooks that are um, being talked about on those channels? What conversations are being had? And actually, maybe you can sort of tap into that as part of your key message first pique people's interest and then sort of convert that into some sort of brand understanding. I like that. The, the idea of just testing it out a little bit first and, and seeing, I think it's uh, it's really interesting because I had such a hard time because they didn't have a budget for any kind of marketing mm -hmm. when I started with the charity that I was with um, apart from the person. Right. And it was really hard to explain if you put a little bit of money into the, paid advertising side of things, we can really move faster. And that's, mm -hmm. that's what's really hard sometimes to explain, you know, um, because every penny counts and you don't want to waste any money, anybody's money. But, you know, I found it was really hard to get that conversation across that it was like, if we invest, we can move faster, you know, towards the goal that we want to mm -hmm. go towards. And, uh, and I think for a lot of charities, they think, well, I can't invest in any kind of paid advertising because that's wasting money. Would you would you counter that argument at all? Um, I would definitely say that um, a lot of these channels, you you know, you do have to pay to play if you really want to sort of be seen. Um, I think organic is um, you know fantastic. It's the bread and butter, and that's you know where some really great sort of conversations are are happening. But if you want to reach somebody who is not uh, connected with you in any way, if you don't want to have to rely on your sort of homegrown fans, um, then you definitely do need to sort of put a little bit of money behind it. Um, the channels are just making it more and more difficult to compete if you are not. So then I would say to that is um, get involved, get stuck in, but don't over rely on the numbers the numbers tell one side of the story they say you know how many people saw it how many people clicked and of course those things are important and need to be reported upon um but i think there's always a little bit more to sort of share and only you who are sort of part of that campaign planning can help to sort of put that together so definitely organizations need to educate people you know it's not just on the money raised it's not just, um, you know, how many people um, were clicking through or, you know, watching a video from start to finish. We know these things are virtually impossible to control. 
Um, so look for the comments. You know, did people feedback on what you were saying? Um, you know, have they started following you as a result of this? Um, there's lots of great ways to assess a campaign. Yeah, that's so, so true. And I think the comments are particularly important and a lot of people miss that part and mm -hmm. they don't reply to every comment that comes in. We have a no comment left behind rule at TechVixies yeah. and uh, we teach that adamantly because mm -hmm. pretty much unless you're, you know, unless you've got thousands of comments, you should be able to reply to every comment. And and actually we know, uh, I there's a wonderful woman I interviewed a while ago named Angela Laws and she runs a Facebook page that probably now has over 300,000 followers. Wow. But, she, you know, she has an ad that's been running for over a year and it's got 6,000 comments and she just replies every time someone leaves one, she replies. It's like a daily thing because it shows that there's someone who cares, that there's someone, you know, someone actually heard what you, if you've taken the time to comment on something, you know, it shows that someone's taken the time, time to mm. acknowledge it. So... Yeah, so you it sounds like you like that rule. I do. It's it's the cherry on top. It's what people remember and you know, it's always as a user if a brand gets back to me or if they want to use, you know, a tweet or share what I've said, um then it just makes me feel good. <laughs> Whether yeah. I'm talking to like a, a biscuit company or a chocolate company, um you know, it's it doesn't go unnoticed. So I think that's a really good rule to have and I think people can be nervous around comments. You know, social media opens up uh, a lot of different types of comments. And that's something that we have seen within our organization recently. And it can cause a, a panic effect. Um, but, you know, you just need to um, treat each comment on an ad hoc basis, respond as you would. Um, I, I don't like to sort of get into this habit of, of hiding comments uh you know deleting things um it should be managed if you've got sort of a good plan in place yeah no i agree with that i mean I, we we very rarely have had a negative comment but when we have i've replied very thoroughly with the information that may or may not be true from their perspective mm -hmm. and but also sometimes it's you know, taking it offline as well, uh, you know, being able to say, okay, you know, here's my response so that everyone sees that you've publicly responded, but then to say, I've direct messages, you know, I've direct messaged you so we can carry on the conversation. And sometimes that takes it off of the main feed. But yeah, I know it's so important, you know, to, to be okay with both types of comments. One of the things interesting, I was, interestingly enough, I was saying to our students is that uh, in our social media superhero bootcamp is basically, if you are creating an environment where your messaging is positive and encouraging and uplifting, you're going to attract people that like that kind of messaging. And, uh, you know, you shouldn't be afraid of creating that kind of messaging that someone's going to come, you know, fire back at you. Mm -hmm. It's usually when you're out there creating controversial statements and being a little bit controversial that you also then get the controversial backlash. Um, not always, but, uh, you know, one of the things that I think is important is to craft your message in a way that you are attracting the type of people that you want to be attracting, you know, and, mm -hmm. and really, quite frankly, repelling the people you don't want to to mm -hmm. be attracting um, for sure. Uh, but I know what you mean. I like that idea of ad hoc and taking each person, you know, because we don't know what's going on in people's lives. And mm -hmm. uh, one of my mentors has always said, you know, hurt people, hurt people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so true. And when someone is upset and they say something 
on your Facebook page or they tweet something back at you or whatever. It's really a reflection of what's going on in their life and not a reflection of what's going on in yours. And if Mm -hmm. you can recognize that from the get go and then respond from a compassionate place of empathy, that's where the personal human connection comes into play. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about the trends in 2021 Mm -hmm. that are going to be shaping charity. I mean, obviously, COVID is still here. We've still got to deal with that. Any other things, any other trends you see shaping the conversation in 2021 for charities? Um, Well, I think you sort of alluded to it earlier when you mentioned sort of Clubhouse and this idea of, you know, audio spaces, um, I think will be really, really big this year. Um, I know it's something that Twitter is going to be rolling out um, slowly but surely. Um, and I think, you know, the people that will be um, in a good position are those with some great existing sort of podcast uh, content, which they can draw upon. And they've got a good uh, group of uh, speakers and stakeholders that can have interesting conversations. Um, so I'm really interested to watch um, the audio uh, discussions. I think for us, um as an organisation, we're not quite ready for something like Clubhouse. <laughs> um, but I think where we already have an existing presence like Twitter, I think that's something that we would find really interesting to lean into and consider how we can use that to complement our existing um, social media strategy, just giving it that little bit of extra edge. But in addition to that, I also think that's something that we will see, which is um, you know much broader than sort of like the charity sector, but is this idea of fusing um, interests and industries so obviously the gaming world is so big at the moment with things like twitch and i think you'll be able to sort of see that really um converse well with music um so i think i've seen articles recently where uh, music artists are thinking hey i like gaming i like talking to my community but i wonder if we can all do this and maybe make some music at the same time And that is just going to be a fantastic way for people to connect with the people that they look up to um, and, you know, create something really interesting together. Mm, That is so interesting. And, yeah, you're right. It's that trying the new technologies out and and then seeing how they work and how they don't work. I mean, we have one student in particular who um, has really embraced Clubhouse. um, And, she, you know, she had the confidence to go on to Clubhouse because she had all the other networks under her belt. But for her personally, it's become the number one place to, to gain followers. Because right. one of the things we're seeing happening on Clubhouse is if you're active, when you step up to the stage and you speak or when you host, you actually get a lot of followers. Because when people go to check out your profile, the only thing they can do from your profile is go to your Instagram or Twitter mm-hmm. account. So it is growing people's followings um, just by being in the room, just by opening up, just by speaking mm-hmm. Uh, And yeah, it's becoming um, an interesting environment. I mean, uh, immediately my thought about Clubhouse was, okay, this is basically, you know, live podcasting. It's basically what we're doing right now, but in a, in a, in an audio environment. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, it's, it's basically a radio show. Anyone can start their own radio show right now and, you know, Mm -hmm. take colors and, you know, it's, I mean, it's an, it's uncanny. It's, it's, it's brilliant. And it was one of those things that you kind of think, gosh, how come no one thought of this before? Right. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I'm not driving around in the car right now, but I think about when I do get in the car, I love to listen to a good talk Mm. show, but, you know, it's even cooler if I can choose which one I want to listen to at the time that I want to listen to it at. So, you know, I find it really, really interesting. 
So, um, but I want to thank you so much for your time today. You gave us some really valuable insights into uh, the charity world and uh, and especially from the digital side. Um, and of course, the work that you guys do is incredible. What do you think would you say has been your biggest your biggest learning in this position? Uh, you know, you came from an agency background and now you're heading up digital for um, the Princess Trust. What's what's been your biggest um, learning from that? Um, I think the biggest learning for me throughout my career, um, because I'm traditionally, you know, a doer, give me a job, I will do it for you. And I will find a way to make it, you know, sort of the best document or the best project you've ever been involved with. But I have been fortunate enough to sort of pivot in my career and start to think back. And it's less about the quantity of work that you do. And it's about the quality and that strategic thinking. So rather than thinking, you know, what does the next week, what does the next month bring? I'm trying to get into a better positive habit of thinking of the next sort of six months, the next year, and really working with, um, you know, other senior leaders within the organisation to understand the difference between what the business is now and what the business needs to be and how I can build a bridge to um, take us there. So that big picture thinking is um, a little bit scary to begin with, but actually it's a really exciting place to be because it just leads to fantastic conversations. It means you go away and you do some research and you talk to people and you, you know, um, try to sort of think, if I was going to restart this organisation tomorrow, how would I approach it? What would I do? And it's okay to ask those questions because even if just a couple of sort of, um, you know, bits sort of fall out of that, that can be really, really helpful. Um, that is really okay. interesting. That thought of bigger thinking is so interesting because mm -hmm. people don't do that enough. And I, I think you're right, is getting out of the doing and really focusing on the being and what's the bigger picture. And um, it's really hard for people to do that, but it's really necessary. And like you said, it can be a bit scary, you know, to say, well, if we had to start all over again, how would we do that? Um, that's really interesting. Um, Heather has a comment. She says, it's so important to build in support and resilience training and workshops for your volunteers. That's a great point. So how do you take care of your volunteers? How do you keep them fresh and wanting to go for another round? <laughs> Um, well, I think, um, you know, absolutely right. It's all about sort of the training that's been put in place. So making sure that people aren't just thrown into particular tasks, but there's actually a really nice, supportive onboarding journey for volunteers and that they have a, a clear buddy within the organisation. So it might not be the people who are directing or working with them day to day. It could be somewhere else in the organisation so that they feel really um, supportive. And it's always sort of checking in with volunteers. It's not taking for granted, you know, oh, you're all right for another six months. You're OK for another six years <laughs> doing the same thing on a you know, Wednesday, Thursday, that sort of thing. It's treating them as if they were staff, you know, have those sit down check ins, have those one to ones because volunteers are the, the heart of what we do at the trust. So they are very much part of the, of the same community So treating them as if they were a staff member. Mm, I, that's so interesting. And also, I know a lot of the people that are volunteering to mentor at the Princess Trust are quite high caliber people. So they're very busy in and of, them, in and of themselves already. So um, making sure that they feel supported, I guess, is, is you know, really essential. Mm -hmm. 
Um, well, this has been a really insightful conversation and, you know, it's a privilege and an honor to get to speak to someone in such a high position in such a well-known uh, charity. Um, so we're really thankful that you took the time out of your day to spend it with us at Tech Vixies. And, uh, you know, just want to thank you for all the work that you do changing young people's lives. It's a very, very important thing to do and, uh, and it really will make the world a better place. So uh, Donna, thank you for your time and, and all of your wonderful insights. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Thanks, everyone. Really enjoyed it.